unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties while recording this episode, so the audio isn't quite as clear as we would like it to be. Really sorry about that. Hope you can still enjoy the episode all the same, and thank you for bearing with us. Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Russell Hargrave, Senior Reporter of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week, Rebecca, we're discussing impact measurement. And in this week's Good News Bulletin, we have got a fantastic fundraising effort from Pete Thompson in Bournemouth, who has taken on a a huge, huge uh, running challenge. So we'll be talking about that later in the show. But first, um, Russell, you've been with us for a while now. Uh, How do you think you're doing? I mean, you're getting me to mark my own homework, which feels like uh, (laughs) if I'd known that was how the job was going to work, I'd have come years ago. Um, Do you know, I've had a really great time. Um, It's been a lot of fun. Um, the team seemed fantastic. I get to spend time, or admit it, admittedly, virtually sitting here chatting to you, um, which is, is, is fab. But um, I mean, I guess I should ask you, what do you think it's been like? How have you found it? Well, uh, yeah, it's great. Obviously, we're delighted to have you. But yeah, do you, would you say you've had a good impact on the team? Um, well, earlier today, listeners, listeners might want to know that um, news editor Andy Ricketts said that mainly the team had got a bit louder. Uh, <laughs> So I think, I mean, given that he's the person that I sort of file stories to every day, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But maybe maybe we'll limit ourselves to that. I've made a lot of noise since I've been here, for sure. Okay. One thing that's very striking is that Third Sector is very calm. <laughs> so this, this has not been my experience of every newsroom I've worked in, that people are sort of fairly, you know, you get to 4.55 with a 5pm bulletin and no one's pulling their hair out or throwing things. Um, that let's hope that that rubs off on me. That would be good stuff. I mean, I would say I think that is very much Andy Ricketts' influence. Like he is a very stoic, stoic person. Um, so okay, so in terms of proving the impact you've had, we're talking about you know uh, hearing what other people have to say. So that's how you're measuring the impact. So aside from you know taking over Emily's job on air and <laughs> getting you to do your appraisals early, um, the reason I'm asking this uh, is because when I said, "Hey, Russell, you've been working in the sector for a number of years on both sides of the journalistic fence, as it were," if I gave you a big old soapbox, what would you want to talk about? And your response was impact measurement. So here we are. Let's chat about that. So impact measurement is something that on the face of it seems pretty simple to me. Like, you know, what is your charity actually doing? Who is it supporting? Is it making progress on the problems it was set up to solve? But despite that, impact measurement always seems to be viewed with trepidation by charities. I think there's a a feeling among some that it's very difficult to do and that gathering that information is really onerous for charities. And I think there's a fear that if they don't collect the exact information that funders are looking for, they're going to lose out on vital grants and contracts. So without any further ado, Here is your soapbox. So what is impact measurement and are charities right to be so worried about it? Well, yes. I mean, so my starting principle is that impact is is an incredibly basic central question that has just got lost in a morass of confusion and jargon and measurement and noises and webinars. So to, to strip it all back to its absolute basics... Impact is that central question of how charities do good for people and can they be as effective as possible. And I think, frankly, if we started with when people talk about impact, they actually said, are you effective? Are you doing good work for people? Everyone would know more or less what was being discussed and we might be starting in a more sensible place. And that should go with the grain as well. Charities 
and nearly every charity I've, I've ever worked at or talked to wants to do that. That's what they're in the game for, is what it's all about. And most do, right? So they collect their survey data, there are case studies, they might chat to their sort of like-minded charity colleagues in the pub after a long day um, and work out whether or not what they've done that day has actually been worth it. So at that level, I think a lot of people would never talk about that as impact data and devaluation. But but that is what it is. Um, and we should welcome it, but we should also maybe demystify it a little bit. Okay, so what is the problem and where are we actually starting from then? Well, I mean, this was all... This is, just before I came to third sector, I was, as I do, spending a bit of time on social media. And I saw somebody, and I won't say who it was, but somebody on, on Twitter, and they said, or oh, they'd spent the morning um, tweaking their application to a funder um, to make sure that their return on investment impact looked as good as it could. And I just thought to myself, this has to be the wrong thing. First of all, for that person to be spending any time doing. But also, if you're tweaking your data to please funders on something as important as is the charity any good, why is there not kind of a core of honesty at it? Why is it not that the funders accept what the charity has to say and the charity is quite happy to, you know, to, to, to be honest, kind of warts and all about this stuff, which seems to happen less and less. And I think the whole thing's just become sort of massively over-engineered. We end up spending a lot of time arguing about, well, what does what does the word even mean, rather than stripping it back to those basic principles, let alone people feeling like they're in a situation where they have to tweak and mould the numbers to satisfy uh, funders. Most charities want to do what they're already good at. They want to make modest improvements to people's lives. They've got limited resources to do it with, but they've also got tons of goodwill. Again, if we start there, I think that's how you end up with a really fruitful discussion about how to support more of the good stuff, how to get funding there, how to get more volunteers through the door, how to get more people who could access those services there without there being this kind of discussion about impact always buzzing around in the background, which, as I say, I think is actually sort of partly unhelpful, partly an awful lot of people don't really know what that word means. And I'm, I'm going to have to make a confession here. I worked for many very happy years for the think tank and consultancy NPC, who some people will know are the real kind of experts on impact. It's a terrible excuse, but some of my best friends are experts on impact, <laughs> both at NBC and I need to include uh, my own good lady wife, who uh, is an, an evaluations expert. Um, but having said all of that, what we know from a lot of the research is that foundations don't actually know why they ask for impact data. Um, and charities hate being asked for it because, for example, you'll have people who are running a project two or three different funders participate in that project and they're filling in two or three different sets of forms that ask for impact data to be sent to them in different formats and asking for slightly different things. I, I, I don't think it can possibly be beyond the wit of the sector to put their heads together, charities and funders, to think about how effective charities are without asking of this kind of constant replication of data. As I say, the research is out there. We know that it's... Um, we know that it's just a bit of a pain. Mm. So what the, you said the research shows that foundations don't always know why they ask for impact data. What's going on there then? What's happening, do you think? It's happening for a very good reason, right? Which is that people want charities to be effective and they want donors' money to go where we can do the most good. And those are the principles on which charities should operate and charities should be funded. That makes total sense to me. Um, so the, the drive behind it is, is, is entirely the right thing. This kind of whole esoteric world of impact however i don't think really achieves that maybe at its biggest level um so there's work where for example you might get prison uh, charities who work with um helping ex-prisoners get their lives back on track if you've got a big enough number of those charities and you've got a data set from the ministry of justice 
you can do some really interesting comparisons. What are charities doing better than anybody else? And what in particular in those charities are charities doing that nobody else could, that a probation officer can't do, or that a policeman can't do, or that some neighbour can't do? Um, but then, we, I mean, that happens very, very seldom. We're talking about huge multi-million pound projects that for small charities especially, totally beyond the realm. And if, if when the word impact gets used, that's what we're thinking about, small charities are going to find it pretty unhelpful. So there is kind of a difference between sort of the scale and challenge and the things that need to be collected for big and small charities, you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think it's partly down to language. Um, and I think it's partly down to the really sensible bit of funders looking at what data they ask for and the form they ask for it in. Um, there aren't so many big national funders in this country that they can't go out to the pub and have a chat about making their uh, making their forms a bit more similar to make charities' lives much easier. And charities will know what they're being asked then. I think it'll, it'll, it'll make everything easier for them. No, that makes sense. So, but to, to kind of gently push back on what you're saying about kind of um, impact not being as complicated as it has been made, like sometimes the impact of a charity's work is going to be very straightforward, right? How many kids did you did your breakfast club feed? How do they report feeling afterwards? But it might be that there are other things that you can't know about, right? Because it's more ephemeral, or you know, or it's something that didn't happen that would have happened without your intervention. How can charities even begin to account for and measure stuff like that? So the honest truth is, I think they probably can't. Again, outside of those extremely large scale uh, sort of testing and evaluation programs, a charity with £100,000 in the bank that is helping people on their street, for example, um, access a, a, a safe place for, you mentioned, homework clubs. So many factors will be in that. And any charity listening to this will know this already. How safe is someone's home environment is going to make a huge difference. And an hour one week, uh, one night every week for a charity to offer that place for a kid to, to do their homework is probably going to have an impact. It's probably not going to be a very very big impact relative to all the other things going on in that child's life. Is that charity therefore feeling that it's kind of under pressure, that it's not doing as much as it should? That's pretty daft. And yet that's sometimes how the sort of impact debate gets framed. So you mentioned those kind of ephemeral influences, loads of social influences in the background. Lots of talk about that in the sector at the moment about cost of living crises and so on. Um, the idea that any of that should discourage a small charity from trying to do something that makes a small difference, I, I just worry that kind of confidence gets sapped out of the sector that way, especially, as I say, among the smallest charities. And so you've talked about um, the need for perhaps funders to get together and kind of agree on what they're going to ask for. Is there any other way you can say you can see that we could start to sort of strip this back, as you're saying it needs to be? Yes, yeah, so I think one would be for uh, some of the kind of leading impact commentators, if you like, people who talk a lot about this stuff, um, to be making the same point, to be talking to charities about kind of the very basics of how are they effective, how can we support you. I'm sure that does take place behind the scenes. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person to think that maybe the system doesn't work as well as it should at the moment. <laughs> um, but th those kind of public discussions at the moment tend to be very complex, very high level. That work's very important, but it's also not massively relevant to most of the sector. So I think if there could be a concerted effort to change the language and the discussion, that would really help. But, um, you know, I remember in 2014, showing my age now, we're going back eight years. I remember, uh, just before I was a journalist, but listening to a journalist interview one of my colleagues at a charity on exactly this topic. And my boss at the time saying, the fact that charities have to fill in four different forms for four different funders is nuts. It was nuts then, it's nuts now, but to my knowledge, 
for all that we've seen some foundations make good noises about this, that hasn't particularly changed. Um, why not? Who knows? I don't work at a big foundation. <laughs> Maybe if I did, that would be job number one on the Monday morning I arrived. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, going back through the Third Sector website, that it does, similarly, we seem to have been having the same conversations about impact measurement for a number of years. Um, so is it just, you think, about foundations? Is there anything about where the public want to know how effective charities are? Is, is there a way in which impact measurement is, is useful for the public, or is it is that kind of irrelevant to them? Um, it's not massively relevant, if I'm brutally honest. So um, <laughs> there are there has been surveys and polling where, for example, uh the public have said we would be more likely to give money if we knew that a charity was transparent about its impact and how effective it was. And that's been seen as a bit of a boon for the kind of impact industry, saying this is a way to to kind of link people giving money to the importance of rigorous impact measurement at all levels. Um, the truth is, those surveys that ask people, how would you behave if this hypothetical thing did or didn't happen? Also, you're asking people about the internal workings of charities. You know, I'm paid to care about that and I have a passion for it, as, as you do. Um, but for you know, most people who are you know, picking up their kids from school and worrying about getting everyone to bed on time and feeding and all the rest of it, you know, they're, they're not thinking about this stuff. So I'm not sure we learn a whole lot about how donors behave. But of course, we already know a lot about donor behaviour, which is it holds up pretty well. It tracks with household income. So the single biggest influence is, do you have money in your pocket? Because the more you have, the more as a proportion, uh, sorry, the, the, the proportion will go to charity. So a bit more will go to charity. Um, and you, we kind of know that stuff. And we haven't seen great shocks to the sector where suddenly donations have fallen off a cliff because a charity turns out not to be very effective. Um, we found out that Kids Company had been twisting the data beyond all recognition on the number of kids it reached, for example, that was in the media day in, day out for several, several weeks. That, that didn't stop people giving money to their local charity that they cared about because they believed in that charity and what they thought it was trying to do. So I'm not sure the pressure will come from the public. I think this is something that we have to kind of be honest about and sort out within the sector. Mm, yes. And you do occasionally you speak to people who are like, oh, well, charities should talk about how much their chief exec gets paid. And you're like, they do, they do. It's in their annual report. You can just you can just find that information. Um, yes. What people think they want versus what they actually are prepared to go away and read. Uh, believe me, the, the the question of sort of uh, charity um, accounts, which, as you know, I'm very, I, I will talk about <laughs> until the cows come home. Um, the amount of information that you can actually get out of charity accounts is pretty large. And yet the number of people who complain that charities aren't transparent enough. And it's like, well, an awful lot of the questions that you've just suggested are a click of a button away. No, absolutely. OK, so while you're up on your soapbox, anything else you want to add? No, I mean, can I? how big is my soapbox? Can I also talk about sort of uh, my favourite football team and the need to improve roads to South Wales or... Can I only do impact measurement? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think it's that big. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to cut the mic off. You can talk about the football team, but I'm just going to turn the mic off. Okay, no, no, like all good interviewees, I will circle back to the um, to the point that I think is really <laughs> central to this. Um, I, listen, it, it is the single essential question about charities. Are they doing good work? Are they effective at what they're trying to achieve? And could they get better? Um, I'm not sure that the impact debate has helped charities achieve that as much as it could especially not at that lower level for smaller charities i think let's have a discussion about effectiveness and uh sort of smart use of time by volunteers and staff helping beneficiaries but i think anything that gets kind of more complicated than that starts to clog up the goodwill of, of small charities that's the danger 
Do you have any advice for charities who are thinking about, you know, because it seems difficult for charities to push back, right, and say, actually, you don't need this data when they are not in the position of power and they need the money. So what is your advice for charities when dealing with this sort of thing? Well, I think one of the things that we've talked about so much in the last two years in the charity sector is power, right? That word you used. Um, and one obvious power inequality is that some foundations have lots and lots of money and some charities need that money. Um, but foundations have started to talk more and more about recognising that this imbalance is not altogether healthy and that charities should have a much bigger say in how money is distributed rather than just sort of putting their hands out and hoping that they'll they'll get some scraps off the table. Let's test whether or not foundations are serious about that and one way is for charities even again on these basics to feedback and say these forms you're asking me to fill in this data you're asking me for I've never seen you use it I'm not totally persuaded that we need to spend three hours of a volunteer's time getting it and finding it and formatting it for you. Um, and listen, we're journalists. If people are having difficulty doing this or they've got into a fight with a, found, found a funder about it or found a funder that's really brilliant and responsive, tell us, because I think amplifying that to the sector is a really important next step. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for uh, getting up on your soapbox and uh, sharing your thoughts. Each week, we're bringing you a good news bulletin, positive or quirky news stories that we've spotted in the sector. Um, So this one made my legs hurt just thinking about it. Um, So uh, this is a Bournemouth marathon runner and running coach, Pete Thompson, who's completed a challenge that saw him run five kilometres every hour for 48 hours. Um, So he says during this time, his limits were tested by extreme weather, below freezing temperatures, a lack of sleep and yeah, physical exhaustion, which, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, he completed 48 park runs in Kings Park, Bournemouth in just two days, uh, driven by his determination to raise vital donations for the local local mental health charity Dorset Mind. So it turns out this is not Pete's first foray into quite extreme, I'm going to go ahead and say extreme running challenges. Uh, so he's a previous 2.25 marathon runner. And in 2017, he ran 44 marathons in 44 countries in 44 consecutive days. Uh, and then in 2018, he ran the Tour de France in 68 days. Um, and he raised to date over £50,000 for mental health charities and apparently he has won a national award for doing so Um, which I I feel like we have a lot of these kind of um, people doing incredible fundraising feats on the podcast and you know I I think it's just testament to like the fact that the general public will do these things that do just absolutely seem to be very extreme very require a lot of commitment a lot of you know to really physically and emotionally push yourself to raise money I think that's incredible so yeah this is of, of all the of all the ones that we've discussed as well this is one where like my knees start to creak in <laughs> well done Pete uh, we are in awe um, yeah, and, and good luck with your next challenge. Um, oh, my God imagines what he will he will yeah. come up with next after what he's done. Please Maybe do, sort of... like, have a nap, have a rest beforehand. Yeah, I want him to jog on the spot for three days. <laughs> we'll be back with another episode soon, so make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until then, I'm Russell Hargrave. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'd like to thank our guest, Russell Hargrove, and our producer, Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Hold up. 